0: people believe in ufos than that social security will be there for them when they retire sounds like Wade has been spending too much time on the national mall today brian bass of mclean asset management joins wade and alex to discuss the future of social security and how it can be reformed to keep the system on track
1: hey everybody welcome to retire with style I'm Alex. I'm here with Wade, and we have a guest, recurring one at that, Brian Bass. So we're at McLean Asset Management just to give you a little, uh, you know, practical sort of uh, review of what we're talking about as we go through this Social Security arc. And Wade, I, I think I hit the record button a hair too soon. You had said, "Hang on, hang on." Did I hit it too soon or are we in good no, shape? No, we're good.
2: I was gonna double check that I'm talking through the right mic, but I'm ninety-nine point nine percent sure that I am. So let's just go with it. <laughs>
1: okay. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think, Brian? What's the probability that he that, that he Waits that he's rocks, on?
2: I had my buddies right, check that out beforehand.
1: He... <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. And since we did have some time pass between the the last podcast, and we got so many wonderful write-ins about how much they enjoy these personal snippets of our lives that serve as a preamble to this podcast. Wait, has anything happened since the last episode has been released? Well, if you're watching,
2: you see I've shaved and that was more the, due to the lack of symmetry with trying to shave uh, without a mirror. So I just <laughs> just decided to start over. So that explains
1: the current situation.
2: <laughs> but that's only if you're watching on YouTube. Which is one of the outlets we have. Which, that we this don't is largely really a size. podcast, yes. so
1: thank you for bringing that up.
2: <laughs> yes, I, we don't get a lot of YouTube watchers. Uh, it's mainly through podcasting services, but uh, it, that's we'll out there, if it. anyone it's would a, like to. It's like a
1: good uh, visual. visual. <laughs> you look, you <laughs> you look yeah, great. great. Wait, wait, uh, he's, he's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what was that? What was a movie. I think it was Modern Problems, like Dabney Coleman. Who's I think a hugely underrated actor. It, it, I think it was Dabney Coven, Nell Carter, and, and Chevy Chase. An old movie. I think it was nineteen eighty. It was, it was Brian. It was just like when HBO started becoming available yeah. in homes, and like Modern Problems was one of the first movies that they that they kind of released. I, I must have seen it like so many times. And there is a piece where he's walking down the beach, Dabney Coven, He's like, you know, he's like recording a biography or something, and he ends up he he he, he you know his closing statement says, "And I am a damn good looking guy, Wade." You're a damn good-looking guy without that beard that on, awesome. so so congrats. We're uh,
2: inadvertently uh, encouraging the YouTube channel today.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. So all you that want to see the real deal, go to YouTube and check them out. Please write on the comments. I I would beg you to write in the comments on the YouTube. That'd be awesome. Uh, and, and what about you, Brian? It's been a while since we've seen you lately. What, what's been yeah, happening, been. man? What's the trajectory of uh, of a fun, of a fine a day in the life of a financial advisor at this time of the year? Once we got like... to
3: April eighteenth, we're uh, we're good to go. <laughs> Q four really? and Q one are tough. Every year. Yep.
1: Okay, do you wanna take a guess among us three which one of us was most likely to file Oof, an extension? I already, know, I already <laughs>
3: know the answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> Which one was
1: like, I don't have enough time. Let me just find an extension and move on. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> does not sound yes, like something. Yes, that was Wade. For, for all of you listeners, it was Wade.
2: <laughs> now I'm on top of that in a manner that.
1: No, 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 no. It was it was me. It was me. But I, I blame my knee surgery. For Alex sure. is a hot mess. Which thank you for asking me how I'm doing. I, I really appreciate the, the empathy. Well, there. that was weeks and weeks ago at this point. Weeks ago? What are you talking about? That was like last Monday. Oh yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it it was just like I don't know, ten days ago.
2: Old hat at this point.
1: It feels like months ago, man. Uh, Yeah, right. Well, this is my second one, so there we go. All right. Uh, So what what are we talking about today, Wade?
2: Well, yeah, we're this is now the third episode on social security, and we're talking about where we left off last time was. So what are reasons people might want to claim early rather than delaying towards 70? And the last item was this fear that Social Security is about to disappear, and therefore it's important to get out something from the system while you can before it's too late. And we said, well, we'll have a whole episode about that point, kind of getting into what Social Security is all about in terms of its history, uh, its outlook, reform possibilities and so forth, really to discourage people from thinking they're not ever going to get any social security benefits to, to give a like a realistic assessment about social security's future prospects just driven by what we've seen happen in the past as well
1: wait i could have sworn we we're going to talk about how passive investing is like fielding a baseball team
2: oh and yeah how you that need was certain... on the, the brainstorming list side.
1: <laughs> right isn't that why brian's yeah. here what, what's going yeah, on all the... brian right isn't that what it we're is. talking about today that's so exactly Brian right. is pushing on <laughs> no, no.
2: on Bob to be our most frequent guest. But have we ever mentioned Brian is a former Major League Baseball pitcher? I, I don't know if that's come I, up. I haven't. I haven't.
1: I, you know, he's very special regardless of that. So that's, I don't know. That's don't, a good word, Brian. Definitely I special. That. That's
3: right. <laughs> <laughs> no, Just no.
1: The, we'll, we'll, hit, we'll hit him up with a podcast like that in a future time, not, right, I'm Brian? In, I'm into that one. Yeah, yeah. But no, uh, today is the Social Security one. And uh, we thought Brian would be a great guest simply because, you know, we're going to go through the history of it. Wade has some trivia about who the first person was on Social Security <laughs> and the like. Not just for uh, <laughs> the trivia reasons, <laughs> but there's Riveting. a better lesson. <laughs> Riveting. Oh, okay. There you go. All right. Well, b- bated breath. We're all waiting. <laughs> But uh, I, I think it's helpful for Brian to give his two cents with regards to what are the conversations that you have with folks when it comes to, oh my goodness, how do I plan for social security? not the claiming strategy, but is social security going to be around? And you know what what, what emotional components do you hear around that and, and what how do you how do you sort of uh, guide them towards that? So I, I, I think it's a good it's a good way to add color to this, All right. Wait, my man. Take it away, man. Do your thing. Well,
2: yeah. I mean, it all starts in 1935. That's when
1: Social Security was... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. That had an in the beginning kind of vibe to it. So, 1935. America was oh, sorry, royal I in, in the Great
2: Depression. Yeah. <laughs> Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal was meant to help bring prosperity to Americans struggling during the the depths of the Great Depression. And as a part of that, Social Security uh, was social insurance to provide initially uh, retirement benefits in in terms of it's not a, a welfare system. It was never meant to be welfare. It was always you contribute into Social Security and you're entitled to then receive a benefit from Social Security. Uh, to uh, to fund y- your retirement and it was designed to be pay as you go the, the whole idea of the trust fund wasn't part of the initial idea it was always the current workers payroll taxes would fund the benefits to the current beneficiaries and that's really what it's tried to do now we did and we'll, we'll get to this point and <laughs> try to tell a linear story here we do have a trust fund now because of some of the demographic changes going on. But that was always the idea. Current workers pay payroll taxes, which entitles them to a benefit in the future, but we're not trying to just save that money or set that money aside. That money would then be used to pay the benefits to the current beneficiaries. It started with retirement benefits. Uh, that was in 1935. In 1939, they added spousal benefits and dependent benefits to minor children for uh, survivors, uh, when the like survivor benefits... They've added disability benefits over the years. They've added the cost of living adjustment in 1972. They're always tweaking the system, always trying to uh, get it on track. Ideally, they wanna have social security be balanced over the next 75 years, just meaning that over the next 75 years, the projected inflows of contributions through payroll taxes will fund the uh, promised benefits uh, over that time period. Now, that, that can be a struggle because of demographic changes. And, and so uh, and to, in that regard, people are living longer. We have now the baby boomer cohort is still a very large cohort of individuals who are in the process of retiring. We'll, we'll talk to Jason Fickner uh, next, I believe, in the next episode. And he coined the term peak 65, which is just that in 2024, we're going to have 12,000 people a day reaching the age 65. It's a huge cohort of individuals. So those are people who are now all going to be claiming Social Security benefits at some point. They're living longer and they've had fewer children. So when you look at the number of beneficiaries to the number of current workers contributing into the system, that's coming down, which in a pure pay-as-you-go system makes it harder to fund benefits because you have fewer workers contributing per beneficiary. And then for that trivia, (laughs) so the next time you're on Jeopardy, she was the first recipient of Social Security benefits, who is Ida Mae Fuller. I I wanted to bring (laughs) that up, not not for the trivia of it, but because it it shows another problem. I, I started with the idea that Social Security was created during the Great Depression. And so today, it's based on your top 35 years of earnings. But they didn't want to start off that way right away in terms of, (laughs) okay, here's Social Security, but no one's going to get any benefit until they've contributed for years and years. So Ida May Fuller was the first recipient of Social Security. She contributed into the system for three years before retiring and starting her benefits in in the end of January 1940. She contributed $24.75 into the system. And I would think this kind of stuff would be private, but it is on the Social Security Administration website. <laughs> I guess they didn't is have this. part of HIPAA? <laughs> her, her initial <laughs> monthly benefit was $22.54. So in just a little over a month, <laughs> she already had a positive rate, internal rate of return on her contributions. She ended up living to age 100. So she's somewhat unique in that regard in that not everyone, especially at that time, was living to be 100. But she paid almost $25 into the system, and over her lifetime received $22,888.92 in benefits from the system. It's a a little bit unique in that regard, but it points to early recipients got a lot more out than they paid in. And that's the other sort of funding issue that we have to deal with as well, is not only do we have fewer workers contributing to pay for current beneficiaries, but we've always been having to fund those early cohorts who are getting much more out of the system than they contributed.
1: So you're saying in the in the pantheon of great investments of all time, <laughs> it's opening up a pack of cars and getting Onus Wagner, <laughs> in being an original investor with uh, Warren Buffett when he opened up his investment sort of group, and Ida Fuller.
2: Yes be, being the first recipient of social security contributing for three years and getting a lot more out of the system than you contributed into it. That was, <laughs> yeah, that, that would in terms of the implied rate of return on her contributions, it's just <laughs> astronomical. So that that's then the, the system and the situation, it's hard to keep social security in balance over the next 75 years. In 1975, that was the last time there was really becoming an emergency. That in 1975, the trustees reported Social Security would be out of funds. Not not out of funds. That's where because it was pay as you go, there would not be enough incoming contributions to pay for beneficiaries. As of 1979,
1: they made some. But this is this an important point. This is an important point, Wade. And I just want to interrupt, interrupt it just for a second, just to have more of a conversation. But. This is an ongoing theme mm-hmm. that you've seen, right? Not just since the 30s. 30s was established and there needed to be some adjustments. But once it got going, you could say since the 70s, there have been echoes of, hey, this is, this is effectively not sustainable and it's only a matter of time. And so let's throw out a lot of skepticism with regards to relying on this system for your retirement. All right is is that a correct st- statement on my part?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, All right. It's, it's it wasn't and it was never meant to be the sole source of income in retirement. It was meant to just make sure people had enough to to get by on, not to necessarily maintain the same lifestyle pre-retirement.
1: Well, oh, one of the stools if you will, right? Yeah, that, that
2: three-legged stool. Or one oh, of right. the legs
1: of the stool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It wasn't yeah, the yeah, whole legs, stool, that wasn't legs. the point.
2: <laughs> <Yes, laughs> it's yes. not meant to be the whole stool. <laughs> It was meant to be a leg. And yeah, I mean, it, at that time, they just, the reforms, which this will be a reoccurring theme, increased taxes and maybe reduced benefits a little bit. That got the system a little bit back on track. But then by the early 1980s again, same situation. And then here's some more trivia Alan Greenspan, who became a very, <laughs> probably the most famous Federal Reserve chairman we've had, headed a commission. To reform Social Security, and so the 1983 reforms uh, were really kind of guided through his commission, enacted through Congress, that set up a lot of what really Social Security looks like today. In terms of, that's when the full retirement age was pushed from 65 towards 67, though uh, very gradually. The first people who have that age 67 retirement age were born in 1960. We still haven't got to the point where that's the full retirement age. They were 23 years old at the time of the reform that suddenly if you're 23 years old, you read in the paper, well, I thought Social Security was going to start at 65. It's not going to start until 67. That's a benefit cut. They did other changes. They introduced, well, they increased payroll taxes. They introduced the taxation of Social Security benefits. It wasn't the complete system we have today where up to 85% of your benefits were taxed. They they were going to tax benefits up to 50%.
1: Of your benefit, would be you're coming. seeing a theme where it starts. So you're seeing these themes though arise, right? There's, it's almost like when there's shortfall in financial planning. There's only so many things you can do, right, yeah, exactly. Brian? I mean, the first one would be retire later, sure. <laughs> which, lo and behold, Alan Greenspan, <laughs> uh, in all his wisdom, in all in all his rational exuberance, said, <laughs> "Hey, let's extend the retirement date." You know, sound familiar? And if you're going to throw in tax at a higher rate, well, that's like invest, you know, like invest a little more. Say your savings rate, you know, if it was if it was analogous to a plan, it's like increasing your savings rate. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, there's only so many things there's that can so be done, numbers. right?
3: You can save more, spend less, work longer.
1: Uh.
2: Yes. <laughs> Voila, government <laughs> policy. <laughs> that's retirement planning in a nutshell. <laughs> exactly.
3: It's, it's, that, uh... it's that easy. I don't understand. but but also
2: what would you that's when the the trust what would you say just before (laughs) oh go ahead
1: yeah well this is about the trust fund and and what are your thoughts here wade uh and not we look we're we're a firm in dc so we get it we we want we want to be as politically agnostic as possible that being said uh what what are your thoughts of the argument that well you're taxing this or you're extending this but this is my money that i've paid into and it's my i'm going to exaggerate to make a point it's my god-given right to get every penny that i put in out to the maximum extent what, what what is the government's kind of view on that without us kind of picking sides if you will
2: well the the formal view that's actually there's a supreme court case the Nestor v fleming uh You don't have any property rights to your social... Jeopardy again, by the way. (laughs) I believe that's a name, but uh, you don't have any property rights. Did you see the flex, Brian? Did Did you see that flex right there? (laughs) Like, wow. It was 1960. Yeah, 1960, the Supreme Court clarified, you do not have a property right to your presently legislated benefit. Congress does have the authority to change your benefits as they'd like to. So it's... It's a program. It's not a welfare program. You contribute in to receive a benefit from the system, but you don't have any sort of property right over the idea that when I made these contributions, Congress was uh, promising me this, so they have no right to reduce what they promised me. Uh, Congress is allowed to reduce the promises, (laughs) reduce the legislated benefit that you're entitled to, change the formula for how your benefit is calculated and so forth.
1: So they have a not so fast kind of button. Right. <laughs> Effectively. Now, right. of course, it's politically
2: right. unpopular to do that. So when they do these types of reforms, and this was, I was kind of hinting at this with the 1983 reforms, they don't necessarily reduce benefits for existing beneficiaries all that much. They, they push it off to the younger generations. And we'll talk more about that, too, with the different types of reforms and how different reforms, who they impact more, current beneficiaries versus future uh well current contributors because
1: yeah. the the point you made with the greenspan sort of commission was when they pushed it from 65 to 67 in reality is the people that faced the full the full brunt of that impact they were just 23 years at the time mm-hmm. it wasn't like the people that were 60 65 all of a sudden are like oh, what just happened?
2: Right, right. If you were 64 in 1983, it wasn't like, oh, I thought I could start my benefit next year. Now I have to wait two more years. (laughs) Those people were not impacted by the increase in retirement age.
1: It was more the people who weren't voting yet, or not that they were allowed (laughs) to vote, but most likely weren't voting as frequent. Or
2: the less cynical (laughs) way to frame it would just be that people who still had a longer runway to make adjustments so that they would be able to kind of get back on track with the change in the policy. Yes. There you go. <laughs> uh-huh. And also, there was this recognition of the, the demographics. So that's when they started to say, okay, we should build up the trust fund now because in the future, there'll be fewer and fewer contributors. And so to anticipate these sorts of funding problems, let's let's build up a trust fund to be able to manage the the pressures in the future that the the number of beneficiaries in the future will be higher. And that's where we are. So you're are. saying the
1: government kind of saw the the retired the the peak 65 coming. Yes.
2: Yes, the peak 65 was <laughs> known to the people back in 1983 as well. <laughs> Although it was oh, in the okay. distant it was still 60 years in the no, not six, 40 years in the future at that point.
1: 41 years. Yeah, but there was still some foresight with regards to that. mm mm-hmm. Mhm.
2: So then we're like recently the 2023 trustees report came out and in talking about there's the disability insurance trust fund, there's the old age and survivor benefit trust fund. So sometimes people need to clarify which one they're talking about, but the combined, and it's okay to combine them because Congress also can just move back and forth. The combined old age uh, survivors and disability insurance fund is now anticipated to deplete in 2034, and that's where the headline is: Oh, there will be no more Social Security after 2034. That because it's a pay-as-you-go system, that's not what it means. It's after 2034, the incoming contributions immediately can fund close to 80 percent of the promised benefits. But over the subsequent 25 or 75 years, uh, you'd have to like have a across-the-board benefit cut of 25 percent. To get the system into balance over the next seventy-five years, so that the uh, the payroll taxes from that smaller tax base are able to fund the benefits promised uh, in a you sustainable said, over manner
1: over the next seventy-five years. Yeah, it's always been that. But, like year seventy-six, we're back in action. We're yeah, back in the game. Right, yes,
2: after seventy-five years, and and even after a few years, you're no longer in a seventy-five year balance anymore. If it's an ongoing downward spiral, but. Yes, that's the idea. Over the next 75 years, a 25% benefit cut is projected to keep the system in balance if nothing else is done. So,
1: so Brian, uh, just to bring it a little bit, uh, start interweaving a little bit of client communication piece. So if, if someone hears the term or, or someone hears the phrase offhand, in 2034, mm-hmm. Social Security is kaput. Uh, wait, wait, I'm, I'm kind of trying to reframe here you're really saying it's not that it's kaput. It's just, yeah, benefits will be reduced. And, you know, according to the the machinations that you just laid out, right? I fear getting it wrong. So I'll just leave it at that. Uh, that's where, but the essence of what you're saying is yes, but, and the but is what you just said now. Well, really, it'll be a 25% haircut for everyone for a certain number of years. And that's if there are no adjustments made by the government, which will most likely not be the case. But, is, is that when you start hearing clients sort of come up to you or, or prospects come up to you and start sort of saying, hey, 2034 is the the witching hour in terms of social security. So we can't plan past that.
3: Uh, basically, yeah, it's so sensationalized in the media that it, anytime you see the big headlines from any of the big networks, um, the phone will start ringing, you'll know, get some emails. Um, you know, and a, a lot of it is just clickbait. I mean, they don't, They don't take the time to explain the story. They don't go into the depth, uh, obviously, as you know, what Wade's doing. Um, And it just, it leads to those awkward conversations that you have to kind of explain how the system's working and how it's built and what that actually means. So, you know, uh, first of all, thank you, Wade, for for leading the charge on this and and kind of, you know, helping us, giving us the ammo to go and have these conversations. Um, Because people do, they they get scared for no reason, not necessarily for no reason, but uh, for unfounded reasons. And, um, you know, sometimes you just have to explain and, and lay out the groundwork of what's really going on. And it, it usually helps calm people down.
1: And, wait, I've, I've seen a couple of presentations that you do on this. And I don't know if you do it as a goof or if it, actually you look this up and this is the case. Do more people believe in UFOs <laughs> than uh, Social Security, uh, than, than believing that they can't rely on Social Security? I don't know if you're just saying that as a goof. No, no, no. That or was, that's an actual well, fact.
2: <laughs> when I was doing an internship in Washington, D.C. in the late 1990s, just walking around the mall, National Mall on the weekend, I received a brochure that was making this point. It was from an advocacy group, but no, it said the survey was more people believe in UFOs than believe they can rely on social security. And and so that, yes, that was in the late 1990s. So this is a concern that's not new at all. <laughs> it's been around.
1: All right. So Wade, what, what I get out of that one is, so you're telling me you're walking in the mall And you use this for all your presentations. You're walking in the mall of Washington, D.C. Someone gives you a pamphlet that says more people (laughs) believe in UFOs than the stability of UFO, than the stability of Social Security, and you're... Your conclusion is, hey, this must be true. Let me put this on presentations. <laughs> yeah, maybe not the. You know, the that, best. Hey, you know, so much for uh, citations
2: or anything like that. I probably use Wikipedia. Is that what you're so I probably shouldn't use that <laughs> for <laughs> sure as I pick up on the National <laughs> <ball>. <laughs> But it, it, it illustrates <laughs> this point. And, and I mean, I don't even, it, it's from an advocacy group that was trying to that encourage be reform before it's too late, I suppose. At that time in the late 1990s. No, I'm
0: messing with you, man. (laughs) Are you up for the challenge? We've just opened registration for Retirement Researchers' Retirement Income Challenge, starting on Monday, May 22nd at noon Eastern. During this free four-day challenge with Wade, Alex, and I, you'll get to take the RISA and discover how you approach retirement income. Run and analyze your own funded ratio to understand where you stand relative to your retirement goals. And if you put in the work, come out knowing how you can put yourself on a course to bridge that gap. We only have a limited amount of seats in the challenge. So head over to risaprofile.com slash podcast to learn more and sign up today. Again, that's risaprofile.com slash podcast. See you in the challenge. All right. And so... So
1: where were we then with that? So, you said Social Security as is. So, but until twenty thirty four, we're fine. What are some things that you know, as opposed <laughs> to kind of re, revamping the whole thing or, or everyone taking a huge haircut? Where, where are we? Well, yeah, I
2: mean, in, in terms of in, until twenty thirty four, we're fine, so to speak. But uh, and, and also just one other point, I mentioned the idea that Congress can change benefits, but Congress would have to do that. They it's not a matter of, in 2034, we just have an across-the-board 25% benefit cut. People are entitled to their presently legislated benefits and could sue to get them. Congress would actually have to step in and legislate a 25% benefit cut. And if they're going to go to that effort, they're pro- that's probably not going to be the final proposal that they stick with it's likely they're going to have a broader package of reforms like what happened in past cases as well. That ultimately is probably going to be some sort of mixture of benefit cuts and tax increases, but also benefit cuts that wouldn't necessarily be applied to existing beneficiaries, but more that are introduced over time. And and let's talk about what those reforms could potentially be. I I think it's the easiest way to afford with that. And so there's certain reforms that would not impact current retirees. And then there's certain reforms that would impact current retirees. So if we're talking about not impacting current retirees or people who are close to retirement, just increasing the payroll tax rate, that doesn't impact current retirees. Just full stop. Great. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the numbers on that in the, the current trustees report. Congrats. <laughs> In the the 2023 trustees report, they say right now the combined payroll tax for Medicare, so I guess not including Medicare, is is 12.4% for the Social Security Old Age Survivors and Disability Fund. If you increase that by 3.61% immediately, that would give you the 75-year balance if you wait... And, yeah, but you're talking percentage
1: points. You're uh, not percentage talking percentage points. Increase so yeah, by...
2: 12.4 would become, what is that? A
1: 16.01%. So you're, you're
2: welcome again. Kind <laughs> <laughs> Thank of you for response. that clarification. If we wait, and this is where the sooner things get going, the, the better off people are. If we wait till 2034, it would require an immediate tax increase of 4.15 percentage points. To sixteen point five five percentage points to get balance projected balance over the next seventy five years, so that would solve it all by itself. You could increase tax the tax rate by that over four percentage points. You could cut benefits by twenty five percent, or you could do some sort of balance of those, and that's you probably draw from some different pieces of this. Something else.
1: And what would be the limit of income on that payroll tax? Well,
2: yeah, I mean, something else that's discussed is this idea of just raising the cap on the maximum taxable earnings. In 2023, that 12.4% payroll tax rate shared between employees and employers, or if you're self-employed, you pay that full amount. That's capped, though, at $160,200. And that could be raised. Uh, it, It currently increases
1: each year. And, and so to be clear, what that means is anything you earn above that is not taxed. is not, is not added to that mix. You're just taxed on that first mm-hmm. 167. And so something we want
2: 160,
1: 200. Uh, we, we have
2: heard a number of proposals that would reintroduce that tax after, say, so you, it drops to zero. But then if you're earning more than $450,000, that's usually the number I hear for that. It gets reintroduced again at that point. Or you simply could remove the cap entirely or, you know, there's different ways you could play around with that. And that is a pretty hefty tax increase for, of course, it applies to those higher income individuals, but, you know, (laughs) 12.4% is quite a bit. And if you just remove that cap entirely, that would work towards solving much of the long-term trust fund problems. It, It would be a big tax increase for those individuals, obviously, as well. So that's another angle there, just increase the payroll tax up to the existing cap or increase the existing cap or a combination of the two. You could re- gradually raise the full retirement age, like which was done in 1983. So sometimes you'll hear suggestions around the full retirement age instead of being 67, maybe it should be 70. That, that would be what that kind of reform would do. And that would probably well, that, be gradual like it was in 83.
1: The kind of... Obviously, you can see a mix of everything, right? But that kind of, you're talking 40 years ago at this point. And so you're talking with advances in longevity and the like. You, know, you could see that being actually a a lot of meat on that bone, if you will.
2: Yeah, and a number of other countries do formally make a link where they're, they link, the, the retirement age will be linked to longevity improvements. So as people keep living longer the full retirement age will be raised accordingly. I guess the idea is intergenerationally to let everyone have the equal amount of retirement uh, because it does get costlier and costlier. Like when when social security was created, people turning 65 were not expected to live into their 90s all that frequently. Uh, that's becoming more and more common today. The only thing about increasing the full retirement age is it's considered a regressive reform, meaning that it impacts like, People who have to do manual labor versus office workers, it's harder to work to those later ages. And so such individuals are more negatively impacted by an increase in the retirement age. And so from an equity perspective, that's not always on the top of the list of desired reform options. Sure.
1: And I guess I guess the flip side to that could be, and again, this is just us having a conversation, could be, well, but if they do some of that and then they adjust the payroll tax cap, because you would think the payroll tax cap will affect the knowledge workers more than Mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the, the workers that you just mentioned, it kind of begins to balance out a bit. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So you can develop your own package of proposals and send it off to your local. The great negotiator. The great negotiator. (laughs)
3: Yes. Yes. That's going to be an interesting, that's going to be an interesting pitch to the younger generations though. No one wants to hear (laughs) Retirement age going to seventy or seventy five. Everyone wants it to go younger. You know, they're, they're looking at retiring younger and trying to make as much money as possible early. And
1: well, I don't think right? younger is going to be an option, though, right? But from I mean,
3: through the through the lens of the the who you, you know? sell this to in Washington D.C., it's going to be you know who are, who who's the constituents that is going to buy into this program.
1: Yeah, I think we should introduce these ideas first in France and <laughs> <laughs> see how they react. <laughs> I was just thinking that too. Like we. <laughs> See how they react, and then we, and then we, and then we like adjust, course correct. What do you think, Wade? We could try that.
2: We did it in '83 without any riots. like I don't remember any riots happening when we increased the retirement age last time. But, uh, in France, it wasn't. It's sixty-two to sixty-four. It was the uh, current idea in France, and that created a lot of upheaval. <laughs> so.
1: 62 to 64 and no croissants on Sunday. Something like that. Uh, Weird. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: there you go. But another option, one that I don't like and one that's actually harder to understand. And so it's easier to trick people with it, is to switch from wage indexing to price indexing. And I think in the next episode, we're (laughs) going to have uh, Mary Beth Franklin on as a guest who's going to do some of those topics I skipped over about specifically the mechanics of how benefits are calculated and so forth. And this is, we did talk about wages tend to grow faster than prices. And so to explain this in one sentence, the switch from wage indexing to price indexing just means the younger you are, the lower your benefit's going to be in the future because you're not getting to benefit from those wage increases anymore. It's going to permanently lock in benefits at the price level when that reform happens Whereas over time, we project standard of livings to improve, and so people, their their social security benefits would become smaller and smaller as a replacement rate of their earnings. Is
1: there a quick example that you have with that, just so so they fully appreciate price index?
2: Well, the price index is inflation, the consumer price index.
1: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But is there like a general CPI or is there a specific basket oh, yeah. that they, yeah, that they the, uh,
2: Social Security uses the CPIW, not the CPIU that is commonly quoted uh, whenever we talk about CPI. But that's for, now I might mix, I think urban and clerical workers or it's, the CPIU is the commonly used price index, but Social Security uses a CPIW to be different. Let's just leave it at that. I don't remember and exactly. Is there, a, is
1: there a Jeopardy answer for a CPIW or <laughs> we'll pass on that one? We'll let Mary Beth answer that one for yeah, us. Well, we can, she can.
2: <laughs> it, it, it...
1: We'll <laughs> lean on her.
2: Our... Yeah, we'll do that. Okay. Um, those right. are the main things, just real brief. The, what they talked about in the 1990s was investing the trust fund in stocks. Not, It's kind of interesting about the trust fund. It's invested in non-tradable US government securities, which I I lived overseas for for 10 years and focused more on pension systems in developing countries. And the IMF and the World Bank are active in kind of providing guidance to governments about things like this. And they highly discourage using the um, pension fund of a country to fund government spending. So the U.S. doesn't exactly pass muster with IMF recommendations in this regard because we have non-tradable U.S. government debt being used to, the, the trust fund is not able to trade their securities. They just put them in a filing cabinet at the Social Security Administration in Baltimore. So just the idea there is let's not do that. Let's invest in asset classes that may offer a higher risk adjusted return.
1: But you think that's possible?
2: That was a reform proposal considered in the 1990s that didn't really end up making it very far. And uh, in hindsight, I don't know. I, it's tough because Social Security is big, so it becomes a very major player. And then you get into all the issues around how do you vote with the shareholder meetings and so forth and, and so on. And
1: I think it was. I think it was. I remember when the, the Gore-Bush mm-hmm. campaign... If I remember right. well, correctly. That's not a, something that exists.
2: Uh, <laughs> you mean the Clinton Gore? Huh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. I remember they were no, no, no. They were talking about like you know there, there was like uh-huh. hey we're good here let's 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 push it here and a few years later you had the dot com crash I think that just silenced all of that up real mm-hmm. fast. Yes, and then it switched to the uh,
2: the second Bush George W. Bush talked about personal retirement accounts
1: <laughs> carving out
2: part of Social Security and investing in it like a four hundred one k plan. And that didn't make it very far either. That also, we talked about these, like the unfunded liabilities, the item Fuller that we're having to pay for. That, that does make it hard to carve out and, and privatize Social Security into personal, like a, a 401k plan, because we also are supposed to pay for all the promised benefits of existing workers and beneficiaries. So that that makes that reform harder to do, and it also did not get very far either. But we're, right now we're just talking about reform ideas that don't impact current retirees. And that wouldn't unless they say, okay, we're going to privatize Social Security and there's no more money for current beneficiaries. So you're out of luck, which is probably not how such a reform would end up being structured.
1: So as, as we have it so far, in terms of reforms that will not impact. So Brian has a client who's retired and they are talking about Social Security reforms. You would think, you know, I'm going into the assumption of retirees, you know, vote more, you know, for for lack of a better word, than others. Things that could happen and uh, this would come, you know, uh, the people that carry the weight here would be folks like us, right? you know, to a large extent, but this would be increased payroll tax, increase the maximum taxable earnings, increase retirement age, wage indexing, switch from the wage indexing to the price indexing. Uh, potentially expand the investments and in what can be invested in, the purview of what's invested in or possibly even maybe creating personal retirement accounts. That's kind of the gist of what you're saying, Wade? Yep. You nailed it. Nice work, wow, I can read a slide. Huh? <laughs> huh, Brian, you did you see Good. that? Did you see that? Did it make it sound natural? Did it sound natural? Yeah, I you're... was doing the uh, maybe... Uh... Turn <laughs> put those off the top of your head. <laughs> like it just rolls off the tongue.
3: <laughs> well played.
1: <laughs> what about reforms that would impact current retirees? Yeah,
2: yes, so that's if we're going in that direction, too. Just when you're hearing about Social Security reform, things that would impact current retirees reduce the cost of living adjustments. So currently, every year, the Social Security benefit is adjusted for the that CPIW index that came up earlier in the conversation. And you could change that. You could change to a price index that doesn't increase as rapidly. You could just say whatever that price index is, but less one percentage point. So if inflation was measured at 5% last year, your benefit increases by 4% instead of 5%. Something that would just cause the benefits to grow more slowly over time. That's a, it, I mean, that's a benefit. All of these are going to be benefit reductions because that's the only way you can impact current retirees. But that's one way you could reduce benefits. You could change the formula. Right now, your top 35 years of average index monthly earnings are used to calculate your benefit. You could increase that number. So to the extent that people may not have worked as long or starting to add zeros to the calculation and so forth, that would be another way to reduce benefits. Uh, this did come up with before. Like you could actually link benefits to, as people live longer, it automatically reduces benefits and you might start that sooner rather than later to to distinguish it from just raising a fixed increase in the full retirement age. But it's more like, okay, starting now, whenever we see longevity improving, we're going to raise the full retirement age accordingly would be the idea of that reform. You could introduce means testing for benefits. And this is the one idea that people may have a greater justification to be concerned about, especially if they're deemed like a a higher earner within the system. And it would turn Social Security into more of a welfare program. It would be somehow ruling that if either your modified adjusted gross income exceeds a certain threshold or however they want to do it, you just simply wouldn't be entitled to the benefits that you've been promised. That seems unlikely because it goes against the whole history of Social Security not meaning to have any sort of stigma, it wasn't meant to be a welfare program. It was meant to be: you paid into the system, you get something out of it. Uh, but I have heard politicians yeah, mention I don't it, think... so it's not completely off the table as a reform possibility.
1: But I think you're being nice by saying, "Oh, we don't want it to be a stigma, so we don't want to do it." I, I think it's more the other way around: that you know, we don't want to have to t- we don't want to have to just exclude a whole subset of people because we will not be reelected. I think that's well. Any benefit cut—that's the better angle—is not
2: going to be politically popular, of course. But uh, yes,
1: yeah, I guess. And especially yeah, yeah. if but you also still, more raise the
2: maximum taxable earnings and means test the benefits. That's really a double whammy.
1: Yeah, but and and what we're not doing in this podcast is you could take any one of these points and really say if we increase it by 1% it puts us into the black by this many more years mm-hmm. etc so all of these have have a lot of uh, sway which one of these weighed and you know without getting into like the specific excel optimizations and things like that cuz you know we, we just don't need to here which one of these carry the you know move the needle the most for the least amount of effort if you will in your opinion or or what
2: that's a good question actually should have looked this up before we had the podcast and we could put it into the notes (laughs) don't worry about it the public policy institute (laughs) made a nice website that lets you play around because yes there have been simulations about how much these different reform options would improve the situation and you can create your own combination of reforms uh (laughs)
1: <laughs> to get up to that. Do you imagine the people doing oh it and writing to the congressman? It, what what a nightmare <laughs> Like oh thank you, Brian. that's great. I, <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> if you're going to cut benefits,
2: one that may have the least amount of like, inequity involved in it is that reduction of the cost of living adjustment. That doesn't solve the full trust fund problem by any means, but it does take a big chunk out of I the argue, issue. But
1: I think it takes a village here. So, that, you know, yeah, let's go into but, that. But or ultimately it is probably
2: going to be some sort of payroll tax increase, some sort of benefit cut, whether or whether that's simply raising the full retirement age, but something along those lines. And then the other, like just on the means testing point, There are stealthier ways to means test besides just telling people, you don't know you don't get any benefit because your income is too high. Taxing Social Security is a a way to means test. And now up to 85% of your benefits are taxable. That could simply be made 100%. Taxing Social Security. (laughs) And if it...
1: He said, yeah, 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 yeah. Did you see how he said a stealthier way? That's like... All right, in Lethal Weapon 3, when Joe Pesh is like, they screw you in the drive-thru. <laughs> That's effectively what you're yeah, saying there. They could right? also Wait. play
2: around with the formula that calculates the primary insurance amount, where it's there's these different bend points, and they have different replacement rates for each range of your average index monthly earnings. They could play around with those bend points to make the system more progressive. Higher replacement rate for low earners, lower replacement rate for high earners. There's lots of ways to play around with the system without... Doing an outright means testing.
0: Are you up for the challenge? We've just opened registration for Retirement Researchers Retirement Income Challenge starting on Monday, May 22nd at noon Eastern. During this free four day challenge with Wade, Alex, and I, you'll get to take the RISA and discover how you approach retirement income. Run and analyze your own funded ratio to understand where you stand relative to your retirement goals. And if you put in the work, come out knowing how you can put yourself on a course to bridge that gap. We only have a limited amount of seats in the challenge. So head over to risaprofile.com slash podcast to learn more and sign up today. Again, that's risaprofile.com slash podcast. See you in the challenge.
1: So the, the, the way I'm reading all of this is that it's just reinforcing, look, it's not going away. It's not going to turn. There, there's things that could be done within the realm of possibility and within the realm of political appropriateness that 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 will send Social Security along in its merry way for the next thirty five, seventy, what not years. I mean, that that's that, that's my takeaway. I mean, there's there's a lot of options mm-hmm. here, Brian. But I didn't get your takeaway well, just on a personal level. Which one, <laughs> if you're if you're a betting man, what do you, what, what do you see here in the in the horizon? Just conversations the knows? Right? Base is
3: probably the easiest and least frictional way to do it. Um, you're, I mean, ultimately, it's a social program in the first place, right? So, I mean, you're taking and cutting into a higher wage base of of earner anyway. Um, yeah, that's part of where so. we go. my opinion.
1: I agree. I, I think that one. I think the price indexing and uh, not the price and, indexing. And there's, there's one here too. My favorite one. Yeah. I, I, Really?
2: But they the, can do that. The you know, people don't pay attention to that, yeah. in my world. Yeah, it will not be understood.
1: Yeah, in my world, people don't pay attention to Are that, so they can kind it, of like slip it the in cola. there. And the, uh, uh, the 85% me, wow. tax.
2: Yeah, and it, so that, of course, what that ends up impacting is the oldest individuals, because by the time you're in your 80s and 90s, you've had the most cumulative impact from a reduced COLA so that's the only concern there that's is true. whether or not such individuals are ready to handle a less, a lower Social Security that's benefit in real terms. That, that's kind of the downside that's, of it. That's a good point. <laughs>
1: because No, no, no. But to your point, though, not thinking just longer term, they're not going to do something that's going to hurt the older population, if anything. They'll probably – if they're going to err on the side of burdening a population – it'll be probably the younger folks, not necessarily the older ones, with the thinking that we'll solve it somewhere down the line or we'll quote-unquote resolve it somewhere down mm-hmm. the line. But again, that's just...
3: Yeah, just talking, yeah, I think
2: ultimately those reforms that impact current retirees are not going to be emphasized. They may be a little bit there perhaps, but it's going to lean more towards reform options that don't impact current retirees. Again, in a non cynical okay. manner, and just so- because such individuals have a longer runway to make adjustments than people close to retirement. Yes.
1: In a non cynical manner, You also yes. <laughs> interpret
2: it cynically in terms of voting patterns and <laughs> with different age groups.
1: Uh, what Brian so this is kind of like we're, we're doing this but we're not in the thick of it we're talking about all these reforms we're not in the thick of it so I, I get the whole point that it's easy for us to kind of be at arm's distance to this decision what walk us through a prospect or a client comes up to you and yeah let's say th- there is there's some something on the on the legislative table on Social security and whatever they're procuring political proclivities are it it happens to emphasize the negative features of what's on the table to the degree that it looks like look it's tenuous at best that i can count on this take it away what 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 does that conversation look like what are the pain points and counters that you bring up that 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 help and you know what do you do in terms of working it into a planning
3: yeah um, context i mean I think the biggest part of the, the early conversation is just education. Um, I think on going back to the taxation piece of the, you know, pulling which lever and how, how do we make, you know, this system work? Um, hardly anyone understands how Social Security is taxed. When they hear, you know, 85% of Social Security is taxed, the immediate assumption is, oh my God, I'm paying 85% tax rate on my Social Security benefit. And so part of it is, <laughs> is really just, yeah, 100%. Really? Um, you know, you talk about the wage base, no one understands what the wage base is and they, they hear $160,000, they don't, they don't understand how the entire system really is built and how the calculations work. So a lot of it is education up front and really just turning those questions back around and say, you know, really, okay, what is it about this proposal or this language that you're seeing that is really bothering you? And then we kind of go into it of, you know, laying out the actual framework of what's going on behind the scenes. Um, for the people that do have a really good grasp of it, it turns into, okay, let's, you know, let's get into your, especially for, you know, tenured clients that have been around for a long time. And we have a really good understanding of their financial plan. It's, you know, a lot of stress testing. It's okay. Well, let's just assume you're correct. And let's say your benefit gets slashed in half. You know, what does that actually look like for you? And so we'll go in and we'll run those plans that way, um, with the understanding that, you know, this is a very unrealistic scenario. This is, you know, in our opinion, probably not going to happen, but let's just take a look at it and see and then if you really want to go down this road of being uber conservative and you know not relying on this stream of income anymore, you know what levers do we have to pull around your financial plan to make this actually work in this scenario.
1: And what effect does that have on them when you have shown them like, okay, let's just assume 50% is gone. When and I would say I would would I would I would put a wrinkle on that that wait, I'm, I please be, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here. You said kind of at worst in, in 2035, 2034, whatever that date was, everyone will take a 25% haircut. Right? Was it 25%? Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's – okay. So, if in the plan you do a 50% haircut, you're doing 100% more than right. like a worst case, yep. if you will. Correct? And if you do that, does that seem to allay their anxieties? Sometimes.
3: I mean, it's it's plan specific, right? Sometimes
1: (laughs) they think it's going to zero. These guys think these people think it's going to zero. Some people do. Some people are
3: very very scared when they see you know again going back to kind of the media portrayal of what's actually happening. Um, You know, if you are in some of those threads on Twitter and whatnot, it's it's there is some scary things being thrown around that just don't have a lot of a lot of backing in reality.
2: It's yeah, but zero number.
3: is a big number. I but mean, zero to go I mean, to zero.
2: Yeah, because Social Security benefits.
3: Wait, you're the yeah, I mean Yeah. <laughs>
2: so that's a big, a very conservative. It is. I mean, you that's read right. a headline that
3: says the trust fund is going to zero, like with no context and no real you know facts behind that statement. You mm-hmm. get scared. It's, it's not a, you know, if you don't know what's going on, you don't know the system, you don't understand how it's really funded in the first place. That's a scary headline.
1: Okay, so then just cuz we're saying this and you may have said this earlier way but I think it's important cuz of the emotional connection right now. How should people interpret interp- interpret the headline social security is going to go bankrupt or is going to be unfundable or whatever the word is in 2034?
2: They should how should they read yeah, that? They should really? just understand that social security was just always meant to be pay as you go and reform will be needed to keep the system in balance that will likely involve some sort of either tax increase and or benefit cut. But yes, at most, we're talking about a 25% benefit cut. And the reality is it's probably going to be quite a bit less. And also it's probably going to be shifted more towards that younger population rather than the population close to or in retirement already. And that's so... Uh, like, I, I'm still well away from my full retirement age. I do assume I'll get 75% of my presently legislated benefit. I, I do assume a 25% haircut, but I tend to assume very conservative assumptions. And for me, right. a 25% reduction is pretty conservative.
3: That, that's a great point, too. And, and by pay, yeah, I was going to say, that's Sorry, a great point, on, too. When on, you're bro. working with younger clients in their 30s and 40s, I mean, you can, you can reasonably assume a lower payout rate. Uh, it just helps bake into a different savings program. You know, you're, you're increasing your savings rate, you're increasing you know, some of the different assumptions mm-hmm. around the plan. And if Social Security doesn't get cut and you get 100% of the benefit, you have a, you know, a massive payday on the back end of the plan, um, which affects claiming age. It affects a lot of different you know, levers on the back end that we can pull. Um, but you know, again, to your point, you just kind of want to pay attention to how conservative you're being with those assumptions. The other point
1: I'd like to make that, way that you said in addition to this is that you don't have – just because you paid into it doesn't mean – and I'm repeating what you said. I just want to make sure I did it correctly. Just because you paid into it doesn't mean that the government can't legislate it again for different benefits. Mm-hmm. But if they do not legis- – and this is what you're trying to get. At. If they do not legislate it again, you are entitled to the rights that are in there right now as law. So the government literally has to – Legislate these reforms. If not, they actually have to pay you these numbers. Yes, or
2: you would like you would ha- may have to sue for it. But yes, you would be entitled to what you've been well, promised. <laughs> uh, there's different laws, and it's just it's going to be a big mess. But if effectively, it's not so easy to just say benefits will be cut by 25 percent if nothing is done. It's much more something exactly. has to be done to <laughs> make that possible.
1: And the other thing with this that I want to make sure everyone takes away, and you've said it, and I think it's one of these phrases that you hear. You said it at the beginning and you explained it, but again, because of this emotional, emotional recency right now, pay-as-you-go, what exactly does that mean again? So everyone after they listen to this podcast can will remember In that. In a
2: pure pay-as-you-go system, there is no need for a trust fund. It's just every year you collect the the taxes from people who are working, and paying their Social Security contributions you take those funds and you use them to pay the benefits to the current beneficiaries
1: and that's the and that's what we have that's what you that's what you're talking about in order to make it solvent as a pay for you go system these are the things that we need to tweak
2: mm-hmm. and that's where the trust fund was built because of the anticipation that because of the changing demographics it would become harder and harder to run it as a pay as you go system
1: but the demographics are turning into our favor now, because the baby boomers are will peak next year. Actually, well, that's
2: not in our favor for from the perspective of funding social security. No, 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 yeah. no.
1: After like years, years, years from now, not right now. Coming up.
2: Well, yeah, eventually. Uh- Going past 75 years and so forth. You, you <laughs> kind of look <laughs> well, at them. I'm an optimist.
1: That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I I'm not sure you're getting at there. Once these baby boomers are <laughs> out of the way is what I was thinking.
2: <laughs> yeah, we, we've got the the population pyramids used to be it used to be a pyramid. You, like the the biggest cohorts of individuals were at the younger ages. And then as you got older it it got smaller and smaller, and that's changing, and now you've got a different shape. Those, population pyramids can't really be called pyramids anymore they
1: there's bigger cohorts at older ages rolling than at hills younger ages
2: whatever. in some scenarios or some cases
1: and so so Brian when you do show the plan and all of that does it do you see a change in like anxiety do you see a change in in anything or is it one of these where they're like okay well at least okay now I've solved for the worst case now I can build from there or you know do people believe what they believe and there's nothing you can do about that really you just got to accommodate uh, that no belief.
3: for the most part i would say 90 of the people once you show them kind of a realistic picture and you explain the system and you show them different things in the way to fix their plan um they have a just a general better outlook than they did before um you know a lot of times it's really just going into the conversation of you know how do we diversify income streams obviously social security worth. You know, a couple who's been together for a very long time they've both worked for 30 or 40 years they have a really good benefit for each of them you know that represents a big chunk of their retirement income that they rely on every year um, and so really it's it's going in and figuring out you know using the reset really figuring out how they feel about their retirement income what they what they want to see from their investment portfolio and really dialing into that emotional side of you know if this one sleeve of my income dries up you know what does that look like for my retirement what does that do to my retirement income um, and just helping them think through the different ways to structure things and different ways to go about creating, you know, again, diversified, safe income streams to pair with, you know, a, a volatile portfolio of stocks and bonds um, or even using a different you know, stroke in the top left in the in the bucketing um, time segmentation piece. Um, you know, just helping sure. people understand that there are different ways to do things um, and, you know, building as much safety or as much risk into a plan as, as people are comfortable
1: All right, that's great, Wade. Do you want to, any parting thoughts here?
2: I think we had a good discussion about this and hit on most of the main points. So, yeah, thank you, Brian, for joining us today and giving us that perspective of interactions with real individuals who are facing these decisions and complications. So, uh, really appreciate having you on the show, and and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll go ahead and wrap things up today, and and we'll have a, a few more episodes on social security. So make sure to stay tuned next week.
3: Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Brian.
0: All right. Wade and Alex are both principals of McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.